John chapter 9 is where I would like to begin this morning. The passage that's on my mind, in fact, the last three verses, John chapter 9. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. The last... Three verses, John chapter 9. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they that which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. I thought I would begin this chapter with the most difficult part to understand, or at least to me. This is not the only time, but on this occasion, Jesus says things that on the surface don't make sense. In fact, it, on the surface, the words of Jesus seem to maybe go contrary to our, our thinking. And, and that's often the case, especially, especially our natural thinking. He says things that, that seem to be the opposite of what we might expect. He says, for judgment I am come into the world. Now I can, I can kind of understand that, kind of relate to that. He, all judgment has been given to the Son. Christ exercises judgment in many ways. There'll be a final judgment one day when the entire human race will stand before him and they'll be separated as a shepherd would divide the sheep from the goat. There's a judgment. There's a judgment day. The Lord's people will be judged through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Amen? You'll not be judged according to your works. Yeah, that's something that takes place here in this world. I'm, I'm judged every day in that sense. The Lord Jesus Christ walks among his churches, his church, in judgment, discernment. All judgment has been given to Jesus. So I can kind of relate to that. I can, I can understand a little bit about that. But he says this, they which see not might see. Part of that judgment, if you will, Part of that is they which see not might see. And, and then he says, and they which do see might be made blind. What is Jesus telling us? What is Jesus telling them in that day? What is he telling us? What is he saying to us? I'm sure you've noticed this before. When, where Jesus is concerned, when, when anyone has an encounter with Jesus a change takes place. Amen? A change takes place. 
Our thinking has changed. Our actions ought to be changed. An encounter with Jesus changes our perspective. It should. Jesus came into the world to change things. We as, as a people, we were fallen in sin. Uh, we, we could not recover ourselves from that state of death and trespasses and sins. We had no ability to go to the Lord. We had no desire to go to God. We were dead in our sins and we could not do anything, did not want to do anything until we had life. Jesus came into the world that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Jesus came into the world to redeem us from our sins. He changed our state. Then He comes to you personally and He changes your state. He changes your condition. Where Jesus is concerned, things change. People change. He changes people. Here He says that there are some that because of His coming into the world, because of His presence, there would be some which formerly did not see. But now they're going to see. But He says there were some who did see, and might I, might I add, thought they did see. Thought they could see. They're going to be made blind. And then, verse 41, He says, or, or, well, some of the Pharisees which were with him, they heard these things. They, they, they asked the question, well, are we blind also? That's kind of the question that I'd like for us to ponder this morning. I don't know if you're going to stand up and shout hallelujah during this message, but I hope that it will stay with you when we leave. Jesus, he makes these statements and these Pharisees ask the question. They're, they're hearing something. They're not getting all of it. They're not understanding all of what Jesus is saying. But they've got a pretty good idea that Jesus is talking about them. And now whatever he's saying is directed at them. And so they ask the question, are we blind also? Are we blind also? Now, before we back up, Jesus says to these Pharisees who ask the question, are we blind also? He says, if you were blind... You should have no sin. What does he mean by that? If ye were blind, you should have no sin. But now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Let me share this with you, and we'll back up and, and get the background here. There were those, especially the Pharisees, in the days of Jesus, who thought they understood. They thought they saw. They, they thought they had it all figured out. They could not see their sin. They were blind to that. They were blind to the things of God, really. They were blind to those things which, which would bring honor to the Lord. They were blind to the, to the conviction of the Spirit. They were blind to, to the law from the standpoint of, of the purpose of the law. They knew the law. They could recite it forwards and backwards. They taught the law. They demanded people abide by the law. But they did not have the understanding. Therefore, they were blind. They thought they could see, but they were blind. Okay, 
Jesus is saying this at the end of a scene that you're probably very familiar with. Jesus comes at the beginning of this chapter. He comes along and as he passes by, he's there in Jerusalem. And uh, there's a blind man there. Okay? And this man was blind from his birth. This blind man who was blind from his birth, he, he'd been out there. Uh, everybody knew him. Everybody had seen him. He'd been out there. He's kind of like the, uh, the, the beggar at the, at the gate. Uh, that was lame uh, from, his, from his mother's womb. Here's a man who's blind from his mother's womb, and he's a beggar. And he's out there depending on everybody else to provide his needs. We're going to find out his parents are still alive, and I'm not sure about that situation, but for whatever reason, he's out there, and the disciples asked a question. These are my words. I'm not going to read all this. They ask the question, who did sin? They look at this blind man, and they, they assume that he's blind due to somebody's sin, either his own or his parents. And they ask Jesus the question, who sinned? Who sinned and, and, and caused this man to be blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it is. It, it, neither His blindness is not due to his sin, in other words, a, a specific sin, uh, that's I guess kind of obvious because he's been that way since birth. And, and his blindness is not due to, the, to something that his parents did. Jesus says, this blindness, he says, this is so that, careful about the language, he is saying that this man is blind and we are here today looking at this blind man, talking about this blind man and something else is about to happen to this blind man. We are here because so that God, the works of God would be made manifest, would be made known. Okay, and, and, and when Jesus answers these questions, Jesus never said God caused that man to be blind. Okay, now God can do that. God has done that. But by virtue of the fact that this man was born into the human race, he was born with a sinful nature. And we live in a sin-cursed world. We, are, we have this sinful nature about us. And sin brings death and decay and destruction and, and all manner of bad things. Okay? People want to know, why did bad things happen? Because sin is in the world. That's why bad things happen. Yes, some things happen because of specific sins. But some things happen because we live in a sinful world. And you and I have a sinful nature. And when we come into this world, we might not have been... Uh, formed in the in the belly of our uh, in, in in the womb of our mother, we not might, might not have come forth from our mother's womb in exactly the physical condition that that was intended for us to to be. That happens. It's because of sin, not a specific sin, certainly not on the part of that baby, and not a specific sin on the part of the parents. Okay, so that's the conversation that takes place. And Jesus tells them that the works of God are going to be made known, going to be made manifest here. And he goes along, and I'm, again, I'm not going to read all of this for the sake of time, but Jesus does something very unusual. Jesus spits on the ground. He spits on the ground. And he makes clay of that spittle. And he anoints the eyes of the blind man with that clay. Very unusual. Did Jesus have to do all that? Was there some kind of power in his spittle? I don't think so. 
Was there something about the clay now uh, mixed with his spittle that contained some kind of magical powers? I don't think so. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he go about this in this way? Because I can recall other occasions where Jesus met some blind people. And on one occasion, he did something kind of similar to this, but he didn't make the clay. And then on another occasion, he simply spoke. And the man was, was healed of his blindness. On this occasion, he spits on the ground, makes clay out of that spittle, anoints the blind man's eyes, and then, he's not done, and then he goes and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Was there some kind of power in the water of the pool of Siloam? I don't think so. But after the man did all of that, he was healed of his blindness. He could see. And it says in verse 7, he, he did that, he washed, and he came seeing. Now this caused quite a stir there in Jerusalem. There were, the, there were friends and neighbors that had seen this blind man. They had seen him out there begging. And, they, and now they see him walking along. He doesn't, I, I don't know, whatever he was using before. Nobody's helping him. He doesn't have a cane. He doesn't have a seeing eye dog. He doesn't have any of that. He has no need for any of that. He can see now. And all, everybody knows that that was the man that used to be blind. But now he's walking along and he can see. And they're wondering. They're asking questions. Is that him? Looks like him. And he told them, it's me. I'm the one that was blind. <laughs> and they asked him, well, well, how did this happen? How were thine eyes opened? He goes on and, and he says, well, a man, this is a verse 11. He says, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eye, mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. The man just told him very plainly what happened. This is exactly how it happened and I received my sight. Praise God, right? Well, sort of. They're all still kind of, are you sure? Is that really you? And, and, and in fact, they, they questioned what they were seeing so much that they brought the man before the Pharisees. They asked the man, well, well where is this guy called Jesus? You said this man Jesus did all this, told you all this. Where is he? And the man didn't know. The man didn't know where he was. And so it disturbed them. It disturbed some of the people. I, I'm thinking, I, I hope maybe you're thinking about this. How would you have reacted had you been there? How would you have reacted? I, I would like to think that I would have been rejoicing, that I would have been going up and, and, and hugging the man and, and, and showing him everything, you know, and, and look, pointing out the beautiful colors that he's been missing all these years and just talking about all the things that, he, that he's heard about. And maybe and felt and, and, and smelled and all these things. And now you can see all of that. I would have been showing him around the city, letting him see all, you know, showing him all the beautiful sights, all these things that he'd been missing all these years. I'd like to think that that's what I would have done. I don't know. Maybe I would have been like some of these other people. Did this really happen? Is that really you? Uh, let's, let's go talk to the Pharisees about it. Well, that's, that was a. 
That was a poor, poor choice, right? That, that wasn't the thing to do. Go to the Pharisees about this thing. Well, they, they bring this man before the Pharisees. And, and kind of a long, longer story, hopefully getting shorter. Um, what troubled some of them, and especially the Pharisees now, they bring this man before the Pharisees, and, they, and so they ask him, how did this happen? He rehearsed the, the whole story again told it exactly the same way, and this is what happened. How did the Pharisees react? Their first reaction was, well, this man you're talking about, Jesus, he couldn't be of God because it's the Sabbath day, and you don't do these kinds of things on the Sabbath day. That goes against our law, they thought, slash Pharisaical tradition. It went against their law. Must not be of God. Couldn't have happened. If it did, he's working by the power of Satan. This man's not of God, or he wouldn't be breaking our Sabbath. He wouldn't be making that clay. He wouldn't be healing. He wouldn't be doing all this work on the Sabbath day if he was of God. Well, it continues on. And some of them asked. No, there actually was a division between the Pharisees, in the midst of the Pharisees. Some of them said, no, he can't be of God. Others said, well, it, it's clear that this, this, guy, this man has been healed of his blindness. How can a man who is a sinner, how could one who you think might be a sinner perform this miracle? How can that be? And so there was a division among the Pharisees, and so they turned to this blind man again. Are you getting the scene? They're interrogating this man who used to be blind. They turn unto this blind man who now can see, and they ask him, well, what do you say? Some of us Pharisees, we say, he can't be of God. He's broken the Sabbath. Some of us Pharisees say, well, how can, he, how can he do miracles like this if he wasn't of God? Blind man, former blind man, what do you think? What do you say about this man, this man Jesus? And he, he didn't know much, right? He, he just said, well, he's a prophet. And I think he's kind of saying that kind of in a one more question. He's a prophet? That's a pretty good guess, you know. He's a man. He's a man of God. No doubt he, this man would have heard about some of the prophets of old being able to do similar miracles, doing, do things like this, okay. And maybe he's a prophet. In other words, surely he is from God. He is sent from God, a man from God, surely says the blind man. And then, so the Pharisees, you know, they thought, well, you know, he might answer some other way. So you know what they did? They began to attack, verbally, the blind man. Used to be blind man. They said, well, in verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. Well, you're, you're an imposter. You're not really that man that had been out there for 40 years or whatever long, however long it was. You're not really that guy that was sitting out there blind that's been begging all these years. You're an imposter. Somebody's play, trying to pull one over on us. Somebody's playing a trick on us. Someone's trying to deceive us. You're not really him. And then they called his parents. Now we're trying to get back to the end of this chapter, and I'm, we're going to continue on here. Then they called his parents. What are you thinking about this scene? Are you able to put yourself in this scene? How would you have been reacting? How, what, what would your response have been? What would your attitude have been? What would my attitude have been? So they called his parents. His parents answered, verse 20, We know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. 
But by what means he now seeth, we know not. We don't know how this happened. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. His parents were kind of like, yeah, he's ours and he was born blind, but we don't know what happened. We don't know how this came about. We do not know why he can now see. Um, he's old enough. Ask him. <laughs> we know they've already asked him twice, right? He, but he said, he is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. We're not going to speak for him. And we're told here in Scripture that his parents reacted that way. They responded in, in that manner because they were afraid of the Pharisees. They were in fear of being cast out of the, of the, of the, of the temple, of the house of God, of the, of the synagogue, that they would be put out. They were in fear that they would be cast out, that they would be looked down upon. They were in that kind of fear of the religious leaders of the day. Unwilling to... Now, they couldn't deny the miracle. They could not deny that this was their son and that he was blind and that now he can now see. They couldn't deny that, right? But they didn't want to go any further. They didn't want to perceive in any way anybody have any kind of uh, misunderstanding whatsoever, any implication at all that they believed that that man Jesus was a prophet or anything else. They didn't want to confirm that. They did not want to affirm that in front of these religious rulers. They were in that kind of fear. So they called the blind man, formerly blind man, uh, back in front of them, and they said to this blind man, now listen to this. They said to this blind man who was blind, says, give God the praise. This man, he said, you know, this man you're talking about, we know that this man is a sinner. And what was his answer? I love this. Now, verse 25. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I love that, don't you? I love that. This man was physically blind. He was literally blinded. He didn't know much. He hardly knew anything at all. He didn't know anything about the man who healed him. He knew his name. But he, obviously, he didn't know what he looked like. He couldn't, he couldn't spot him in a crowd because, you, you remember, he was sent to the pool of Siloam to wash the clay out of his eyes. That, that was a little ways on the other side of the city from where they were. And when he comes out of that pool and he can see Jesus is back over there somewhere, he, he never even saw Jesus. So he doesn't know anything. He knows his name. That's it. Doesn't know where he came from. He says whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Whether he's a prophet or not, you decide. The thing that I know is that I was blind. Now I see. You ever feel that way? That's about all you know. That's about all you know. Sometimes you feel like maybe I should speak for myself. Sometimes you feel like about all I get out of that book. I just don't know anything. I thought I knew some things. And then maybe I want to try to tell somebody and there's, just, there's nothing there. I don't know. <laughs> or sometimes maybe you just kind of get so worn down and nothing else really matters. And so it all just kind of leaves you. And all you're left with, I was blind, but now I see. 
That's all I know. That's all I can tell you. I don't know how it happened. I don't know why it happened. But I know something changed. I know I'm not the same. I know this man Jesus came along and he did something. And I didn't understand what he was doing while he was doing it. But when it was all over and done with, I was changed. I could see. That's the scene that we have here with this blind man. They begin to revile him. The Pharisees didn't let up. They, they, they begin to, to, to revile him, to, to mock him. They asked him another. They asked him again. Tell us again now how this happened. And in fact, now a little bit of boldness comes about. And I wish I were more like this blind man, this formerly blind man. A little boldness now begins to rise up. Because, and why, was it, why did he begin to be bold? He began to be bold because he knew something had changed. He knew he was a changed man. And a change in your heart and a change in your mind, a change in your thinking ought to cause us to be more bold in telling others about it. Man, I was hoping for an amen or two. I see some heads nodding, but friends, when Jesus has changed you, that's something to tell about. That's something to tell. And, and so this, these, he begins to speak up and he says, well, why do you want me to tell you again what happened? I've told you three times already. Would you also be his disciple? Would you like to follow Jesus too, Mr. Pharisee? And then they really got riled up, came upset, and, and, and they said, we, we don't know about this guy. We don't know where he... We're disciples of Moses. We're not that man's disciples. We don't know where he's from. We know that God spoke to Moses we don't believe that God spoke to this man you're talking about, this man named Jesus. We don't even know where he came from. And then the man got even more bold. He says, you mean that, that herein is a marvelous thing. You know I was blind. You know I've been out here all of my life. You know I've been blind from birth. Here's a marvelous thing, and it was done by this man named Jesus, and you don't, you're the religious leaders of the day, and you don't even know where he came from? You mean, you mean to tell me that this miracle has happened and you don't know anything about this man? And he began to teach these Pharisees without going into all of that lesson. When he was done, what happened? He was cast out. The Pharisees cast him out. They'd had enough. They'd heard enough. Okay, so we have this scene. Jesus comes along. Let's don't leave the blind man out there cast out because Jesus comes along then. And Jesus comes up to him and he says in uh, verse 35, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And the blind man answered him and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? See, he still he didn't know who this man, this man came up to him and asked him this question. He didn't know it was Jesus. He didn't know it was him. Who is this that I might believe? Tell me, stranger that's walked up to me and asked me this question. Tell me. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Through all of this scene, now all of that has happened, and then we come to where we started, Jesus saying, I've come. I've come into this world so that they which see not might see. Now we're talking more now about more than just physical blindness. Talking more, more than just being blinded and not, being, you know, not have our eyesight, our vision, literally. Jesus came into the world so that those which, which see not, 
In other words, he has come as a light that has shined in darkness. He has come as a light that will shine in the darkness of your heart. And he has shined in your heart. And now you can see. Now you can see. He came so that those who thought they could see, who professed to be something in the sight of God, who professed to be able to stand before God in their own righteousness, those that thought they could see, he came that they would be blinded. Now, the question, are we blind also? Oh, Brother Matt, do you have to ask us that question? Yes. Yeah, Jesus asked the question. I'm just conveying it to you. Yes, we need to ask the question. Can we be blind? You this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, children of God, born of the Spirit, can we be blind also? Can we be? Let's get a few verses of Scripture from I really want to go over to Revelation, but let's stop along in 2 Peter for just a minute. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's, let's just for a few minutes see if we can answer this question. Can we be blind? You know, I've, I've talked with a, a few people over the years who, as they've gotten older, their eyesight begins to diminish and, and get weaker and weaker and more and more dim and, and it's almost like, you know, real, real slow over a period of time. It's like your eyes just begin to close. You know, when I hear Elder J.L. Hopper is, is one just recently that, that has shared that with several of you probably, and I, I can't relate very much at all to that, but it, it bothers me. What, how would that be? Now, here was a blind man that's been blind all of his life, and now he can see. <laughs> What if you could see all of your life and then you become either gradually or maybe even suddenly blind so that you could no longer see? That would be, that would be difficult at best. Our eyes, they let things come into the body, right? Come into the mind, come into the heart. Physically, spiritually, you name it. The eyes are, are very critical. And, and so it, it bothers me in many ways to think that I could lose that eyesight. That it, in fact, it would gradually become more and more dim. Spiritually, physically, the, the question is, are we blind also? Can we be blind also? In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to those which have obtained like precious faith with us. Just, just, just like us. He is writing to those, he is writing to children of God who have been, who have received, the word literally means by divine allotment. By divine allotment. Those have, he's writing to those who have, who have faith, who have been born of the Spirit. Faith being a fruit of the Spirit. Faith being evidence of the presence of the Spirit, the existence of the Spirit within the heart. He's writing to children of God and he is encouraging them, he is exhorting them. First of all, he reminds them that God has given us all things that we need. All things pertaining to godliness, he says, unto life and godliness. What I wanted is beginning with verse 5. Peter exhorts children of God. He's exhorting you. 
he is exhorting me to do something with what God has given us. And he starts with, he, say, he says, with diligence. With all diligence. Follow with me now. Peter says, I'm going to tell you something you need to do. I want to encourage you to do this. But I want to encourage you to do it with all earnestness. With all sincerity. With, all, with, with great commitment. An earnest commitment on your part. You do this. He says, add. Add to your faith. There's something that you can do to add to the faith that God has given you. And Peter says, that's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? Let's, I want, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just very quickly. He says, add to your faith virtue. I don't know if you remember or not. I've shared this with you a couple of times over the years. But virtue, here's a definition for you. You might come up with a better one. Virtue is an unwavering commitment to do that which is right, to do that which is right according to God's word, to do that which is right in spite of the obstacles and regardless of the consequences. Write that down. Virtue, an unwavering commitment to do that which is right in spite of the obstacles, regardless of the consequences. Peter says, add that. You've got faith. Exercise that faith and add to that faith this virtue, that kind of commitment to that which is right. He says, add to your virtue knowledge. We want to have this commitment to that which is right, but we need to know what is right. right? We need the knowledge. We need the knowledge from God's Word to help us discern what is right and what is wrong. So add knowledge. And he says, and to knowledge, temperance, self-control. Especially self-control of our natural desires, okay? Self-control, that's a tough one, isn't it? That's a tough one. I might can add a, uh, a, an, an earnest and sincere commitment. Man, I can, I can get pumped up and primed and, and ready to, to make that commitment, and I can study God's Word and I can gain all that knowledge, but then I've got to control because there's something within me that wants to fight against what I'm trying to do. <laughs> there's something within me, this, this sinful flesh of mine, I've got to have self-control. Okay? So add temperance. Now you can apply that in a couple of other ways probably, but... And then to, to temperance, patience. Patience, patience, patience. Always patience. You know, patience and, and humility and sacrifice goes a long way, don't they? Think about it. Patience and humility and sacrifice goes a long ways in this life. He says add patience. And it would be good for us if we would exercise what God has given us so that we can add patience, so we can strengthen our patience, build up our patience, because otherwise the Bible tells us that tribulation worketh patience. And I'd rather learn patience some other way than to have to go through a lot of tribulations, wouldn't you? But tribulation does teach us patience. But he says, I had patience. And he says, to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. That's that, that's that love and, and, and brotherly, that's that godly affection that you show as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Now he lists all those things. And we could, you, know, you could do a sermon. Somebody could on each one of those probably. But what he says then after all of that, after you add all of these things, he says this, For if these things be in you and abound, 
They make you that you be neither be barren nor unfruitful. You shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your desire? You want to be fruitful, right? You, you want to bear fruit. You don't want to be barren. You want to be bearing fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what we want in verse 9. But he that lacketh these things, the one, if I fail to do these things, if you fail to do these things, to whatever extent I am lacking, to whatever extent that I am failing to, to exercise these things that God has given me and then to add to that, to strengthen it, and I think that's really what it, what it boils down to. It's not like we're reaching out there somewhere out, outside of, 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 of ourselves and, and taking something in and, and making it our own. We're taking what God has given us. To add something in this sense is to, draw, is to allow it to be drawn out. Drawn out. It's to draw it out. Okay? If I fail to do that, and to whatever extent that I do fail to do that, he says, he that lacketh these things is blind. Can we be blinded? Yes. I don't want to be blind. I don't like the idea of being blind in any way. Peter has just told us a, a fairly straightforward remedy to blindness. To whatever extent that I am lacking in these things, that is to the extent to which I am blinded and cannot see afar off. I, all, as far as I can see might be right here in front of my face. I can't see out there. I can't see around me. Maybe it's the peripheral vision that I'm losing, perhaps, you know. And I can't see as things come along. I can't, I can't see the danger around me. I, I'm not able to, as, as, as we've been taught recently, to, to walk circumspectly very well because I'm, I'm not able to see around me. I've been blinded. Maybe I can't see afar off. Whatever that is. Is that nearsightedness, farsightedness? Whatever it is, I can't see afar off. I can't lay hold, I can't focus on the goal. All I can see is right here. And, and, and maybe that's okay, but it won't get me very far. And it won't help me grow. So he, he says, I, I, I'm blind and cannot see afar off and have forgotten. Listen to this. To whatever extent that I am blinded, that I'm not able to see clearly, it is to that extent that I will begin to actually forget what Christ has done for me. And that blindness indeed. To forget the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. He was crucified when he gave, willingly gave his life. Willingly suffered. Willingly took upon him my sins. Willingly sacrificed himself and redeemed me from my sins, purged me. I can fail to do some of these things, and to whatever extent that I do fail to do these things, I am in danger of actually forgetting what Christ has done for me. I may not academically forget, but I'm going to begin to lose the effect that it has on my life and the decisions I make and the things that I do and the things that I allow even more to blind me, okay? So yeah, I can be blinded. 
He says, Wherefore, the rather, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Give diligence. There's that word diligence again. Be earnest in this. Make this earnest and sincere effort to make your calling and election sure. Now think with me. If you forget that Christ purged you from your sins, if you forget that Christ redeemed you, if you forget what Christ has done for you, does that make it null and void? No. Child of God, if we can be blinded, even to the point that Peter says, we might forget that we have been purged from our old sins, does that mean we're no longer purged? You might feel that way. You might even become so blinded and so wrapped up into the depths of, of, of whatever and be blinded by this world to the point that you act like you've not been purged. That I act like I've not been purged. When he says give diligence to make your calling and election sure, is he telling us you better do all of this? so that God doesn't uh, revoke His call? Is, is He telling us that we better be sure and do all of this so that what God had chose to do, even before the foundation of the world, He changed His mind and said, I'm not going to do that after all because you didn't, you didn't do your part. No, no, my beloved. No, this, is, this has to do, first of all, with our conscience. We can become so blinded that our, our conscience is no longer pricked and convicted like it ought to be, you know, and that helps us along in life, doesn't it? It doesn't feel good, but it's good for us that we are guided by that convicted conscience. And if we no longer are feeling that, if we've become cold, if we've become spiritually despondent, whatever it might be, we will begin to question in our own mind. We'll begin to doubt. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had doubts and fears? Lord mercy, I hope you don't. Because there's no place you want to be. And it's sure not any place you want to spend any length of time. To have doubts and fears. But doubts and fears come along for a couple of reasons. Doubts and fears come along when I am blinded. And doubts and fears come along also. Doubts and fears come along also when, uh, when I take my eyes off of Jesus. Yes. Well, we didn't finish that sentence of Peter. When he, said, he says, if we do these things, if, if we don't do these things, we may forget. And, and, but instead of forgetting what Christ has done for us, let's be diligent. And experiencing to the fullest our calling and our election, he says in verse, he says, and you'll never fall. He says in verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is an abundant kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's an everlasting kingdom, and we enjoy that now. We enjoy the experience of that kingdom now while we live here in the world, and it is a kingdom that is everlasting. And by diligently following these things, by diligently adding these things to our faith, by diligently seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, that abundant kingdom, 
that abundant and everlasting kingdom is ministered to us. We enjoy all that it has for us here in this life. Are we blind also? Can we be blinded? And we can be. Uh, my prayer is that the Lord would be merciful to us in a couple of ways. We'll close with this. My prayer is the Lord would show me mercy, would show you mercy in chastising me. I want the Lord to chasten me. I don't want to feel that chastening, but I want the Lord to chasten me. I want the Lord to chasten me so I can experience His love because I know He does so because He loves me. He loves me, and in that chastening, I learn something. I not only learn more about His love, but I, I learn what it, would, what it is He would have me to do as, as my Heavenly Father. That's my prayer, that the Lord would be merciful to me in that way. Now, that's me. I hope that, I hope that maybe you can relate to that to some extent, but also my prayer is for us as a body, collectively as a church, that we, and this is the next part of this message, I guess, that we didn't even begin to think about, that we as, collectively as a body would not be blinded to the things that the Lord would have us doing, up and about doing. There are things that collectively as a body, as a family, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here, that we are to add, that we are to exercise. And as we exercise and add the things that the Lord would have us to be doing, that entrance into the everlasting kingdom, that abundant entrance into this everlasting kingdom is ministered to us collectively as a body. We've been talking about the body lately, and uh, I'll just remind you again that all the members of the body are connected. We're vitally connected so that as we individually exercise what the Lord has given us to do, that we collectively can experience the greatest joy and pleasure that, that, that can ever be known here in this life. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a Primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other Primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you is our prayer. Andrew.